Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bible? It's the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 6, please. We're only going to lift a few verses out, but please keep your, your Bible open. Mark that book. For, uh, God willing, we will look at it again in a few moments. Revelation chapter 6, reading from verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word, the saving. Let's just buy in a word of prayer. Our eternal Father, again, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus that he did indeed Find us, as it were, on the Jericho Road, beaten by the world, by the things of the world, by the addictions of the world, by the lusts and the loves of the world. And there we were, lost and undone and without him, without hope, without an eternal welfare in heaven. Father, we thank you that he came and he bled and died for us. And there he did pour out the oil and the wine into our souls, which were grievously wounded, wounded to death. And he came and he died for us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you have saved us. We thank you, Lord, that we belong to you. We thank you, Lord, that we are redeemed through your precious blood. We ask you, Father, now that you would, Lord, take everyone that's in this place tonight, and all those who are watching live or even later, wherever they are in the world at this moment, Lord, that you would speak to all of our hearts and teach us thy word. And Lord, that we would glorify the Son of God in all of this because he alone deserves the glory and he alone is worthy. Thank you for every person here, whether it be their first time or whether they've been here for years. We thank you for them tonight, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, even as our faces differ, then so do our needs. We ask you to meet each and every need. If there's any that's unsaved, Lord, would you save the lost? Would you restore those who are backslidden in heart? And Lord, you would, would you restore and rewarm to you, Lord, those who are cold in heart, those who are indifferent now. We pray, O oh God, that you would do what you do best, Lord, and what only you can do to reach men and women, that they might be saved and ready and prepared for the coming of the Lord, or whether you should call and take them, Father. So to that end, Father, glorify your name. Remember the sick in our assembly. Remember those whom we've been holding up in prayer and bearing, Father, day and night before the throne of grace. Would you remember them? And oh God, would you draw close and near and heal them. We worship you and we love you. And we love you because you first loved us. 
And so to that end, Lord, we, we're here in your love tonight. We ask you, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one of us to the glory of Christ alone. In his name I ask it and I pray. Amen. John is given a vision on the isle which is called Patmos. Patmos was a prison isle. It wasn't a holiday isle. It wasn't somewhere you go and you book your week off or your two weeks off. John was led in a prison isle. He was there for uh, laboring for the Roman Empire. We find that John being on this isle, a strange thing happens. He's given a vision of souls that are under the altar crying out when their blood would be avenged on the earth. Now, from the outset, let me say this is a vision. There are no souls crying out from under the altar in reality. But they mean a lot, and we'll show you that, God willing, tonight. If there were souls in heaven crying out under an altar, what sort of a heaven would it be? It's not the heaven we think of or read of in the Scriptures where there's no more death and no more sorrow and there's no more tears nor crying. So what sort of a heaven would that be if the souls of these men were under an altar crying? But rather it's symbolic of a lot of things we need to look at this evening. In our reading, there is what is known as the fifth seal is opened. If you would look at verse 9 for me, please. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. When you read the the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, you have to understand the Israelitish identity of it, the Israelite foundation of it. This altar is speaking off and looking back to the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, and before that, the altar which was in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now it's a heavenly altar in Christ. It's a heavenly altar. But this vision that we are given, what are these men? Who are these souls? Why are they crying out that the Lord would avenge their blood? Whenever we think of the Scriptures, We see how in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we're going to show you how the Roman, pagan Roman Empire acted at the behest of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day. In Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Now about that time, Herod, Herod was actually of the Edomite uh, proselyte Jew, and he was a, a puppet king for the Roman Empire. And it says, in his day, the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Verse 3 says, and because he saw it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. What is happening here is, here Herod seen that the Jews were pleased that these men who were Christian, they came from a Jewish, Judaite background. And the Jews are now angry that they have come to this sort of certain cult or sect known as the Jesus of Naz- the Nazarite, the Nazarene, pardon me. 
and they're angry at them, and they've left the temple, as it were, and they're not in their religion anymore, for they're putting their whole faith, their full trust in Christ. And so the only way they can really act, because they are under servitude under the Romans, is to stir the Romans up. For example, in John chapter 19, it says in verse 7, the Jews answered him, that is Pontius Pilate, when Christ was arrested and tried and brought before them. It says, the Jews answered him, Pilate, notice this, note this, underline it if you're looking at it. We have a law, and by our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. In John 19, in verse 12, it goes on and it says, and Henceforth, Pilate sought to release him, the Lord Jesus. Notice what they replied. But the Jews cried out, saying, If I let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whomsoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And what they're saying is, you see, Caesar called himself God on earth. He was known as the God on earth. He was also known... He had the tithe bequeathed to him from a man called Attalus III. From the Babylonian mysteries came over all the mystery pagan religions from Babylon. We read of Daniel and the lion's den in the Old Testament. All of those came over into Rome. And Attalus III at his death bequeathed his title to the pagan Roman emperors. And his title was Pontifax Maximus the bridge builder. And so because this Caesar thinks he's the bridge builder between God and man, taking now what is the place of Christ. You see, Christ is the only, as it were, bridge builder. He is the only one who stands between God and man. And we know even today that in, in Rome, the Pope claims himself to be Pontifax Maximus, the bridge builder between God and man, the vicar of Christ on earth. And so here, this man, Jesus, is hated and detested by Jew and Roman alike. And we find that they say, if you let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Pontius Pilate would be terrified of that because Caesar, later actually Caesar, disposes Pontius Pilate and sends him away and he dies on a barren island himself. Pontius Pilate is worried about what will happen here, but what if this is the Son of God? And what if these claims are true? And what about this man? What will I do with him? So he thinks up a plan, and in Mark 15 and verse 11, it says that he offers the Jews because he would have released one of their prisoners called Barabbas. He brings forth Christ and he brings forth Barabbas. Whom will ye that I release unto you? Jesus, which is called Christ, or Barabbas? And it says now Barabbas was a robber. He was a he was like a terrorist. Instead of 
claiming Christ who fed them, instead of claiming Christ who helped them, who healed their sick, they claimed Barabbas to be released. Mark 15 and 11. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas. So now I told you in John 19 and in verse 7, I told you to underline a few words here. The Jews answered him, that is Pilate, we have a law and by our law he ought to die because he hath made himself the son of God. This law was known as the blasphemy law. Britain had the blasphemy law. As far as I know, up till just this year, the blasphemy law is now done away with in Scotland. And just a few years ago, it was done away in England. And as far as I know, it's still meant to be in force in Northern Ireland. Allegedly. You wouldn't think it, the way people talk about him. Notice this. We have a law. And by our law, he ought to die. And that law is found in Leviticus 24 and verse 16, the blasphemy law. We, we will not read it tonight, but mark it. Read it yourself. And so they're putting out this Old Testament scripture that they might crucify Christ. In John chapter 5 and verse 18, John 5 and 18, it says, the Jews sought the more to kill him, the Lord Jesus, not because he had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. I have to say to those of the Islamic faith who say Jesus is not God and God has no son, he's not the son of God. Well, I would have to say here, even at his very trial, they're bringing it up that he said he was God's son. And so he's tried on this. In Matthew 26, on verse 63, reading from the end of the verse. Why would you read from the end of the verse? Because there are no verses and chapters in the original text. Verse 63, the end, listen to what it says. He says, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. This is the high priest. Verse 64, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, nevertheless I say unto you, hereafter ye you, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. This is the blasphemy law from Leviticus 24. He's spoken blasphemy. You're going to sit at the right hand of power. There's two main words. There's other words, but there's two main words in the original Greek text for power. One is exousia, and the other one is dunamis. Exousia is, it means one who has authority, one who has privilege, one who has license, one who has the right. Exousia, the power. If the police were to come to arrest you, they come 
with the exousia power of the state, the right and the authority of the state. You might be able, if you want to resist arrest, you might want to be able to wrestle them to the ground and they have no physical power over you. But the authoritative power is the exousia power. And the dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. And it's an inherent power, an inherent power. So if I get a stick of dynamite and were to stick it here on the top of this pulpit here and we were to just sit where we are and we have no real danger of the sitting here, but if I was to take out a match and strike it and light the fuse, I reckon the sides of the tent would bust open when you all trying to get out. You know why? Because you know the capability of that dynamite, the inherent power in it. There it is. But when the fuse is lit and it touches the stick of dynamite, bang, and off it goes. The inherent power is released and we would all die. Christ, with the dunamis of the Father, is in him is all the power. All the power. And with him is the full authority, the exousia. He says, you're going to see me in my power. Oh, they hated it. Blasphemy. Because he's claiming himself to be the son of God. He's claiming himself to be equal with God. He's claiming himself to be God. And hence he's tried on the blasphemy law from the book of Leviticus. Now, in Revelation 6 and verse 9, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they had. Some people think this is going to happen in our future sometime. Brothers and sisters, this has happened already. At this time in history, John is... And the island is called Patmos. John is a prisoner. John is given visions of heaven, revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's guessed it's around AD 95, AD 96. So the Jerusalem temple has been destroyed by Titus, the Roman prince. It was destroyed in AD 70. So he sees this altar, but the, it's all gone in Jerusalem. So it's a heavenly altar, and it's ahead of John, as it were. Some of it is ahead of John to come, and some of it has been behind him. And so we find that the temple is destroyed by the Romans. Jesus says, one stone shall not be left upon another. And when Titus and his army came around, Surrounded Jerusalem. There they starved the people. Until they were so weak, then they found an entrance in, and there they fought over one wall. And the Jews retreated to another, and they fought over another. Until they had taken all of Jerusalem, and they came into the temple. The temple was set on fire, and the gold ran down throughout the great big stones of the temple. And it was ordered to tear it down brick by brick. 
to get the molten gold out. And that's the prophecy of Christ. One stone will not be left upon another. You see, here's something for us all to take note of tonight. Just like these Jews and these Pharisees, you cannot deal roughly with Christ and get away with it. You cannot deal roughly with Christ and get away with it. You cannot be flippant about Christ and think everything will be all right. You might think it is for a while. Up the A.D. 70, after his death, burial, and resurrection, they thought, they thought they'd get rid of him. But you can't deal flippantly or roughly with Christ and get away with it. Neither can you reject Christ as your Savior and think you will be all right. There's people who are take or leave it with Jesus. There's many who reject him and feel, well, I'm all right. Reject Christ and you reject salvation. And reject Christ and you reject heaven. Deal flippantly with the things of God. And you might think you get away with it, but God will come down on you. And their temple was destroyed in AD 70. Let me now change this for a moment, for the Romans don't really need any prompting from the Jews against the church. The Romans are a people of bloodlusting and bloodletting. And the Romans can do it all by themselves without the help of anyone. Pagan Rome persecuted the early Christians. For example, before the fall of the temple in AD 64, the persecution of Christians became rife in Rome because Nero accused them of setting fire to Rome. You hear the saying of Nero played the fiddle. It would have been a liar. They called it, it was like a harp. Why Rome burned. Whether he did or not, we don't know. But that's the saying. And here Nero, he, he takes the, the Christians and he, he makes torches out of them and puts them around even the Colosseums and sets them in fire to light the paths for the people to go to the Colosseum. In his palace, human torches, setting them in fire, dousing them with oil, tying them to stakes. But in our reading, in our reading, the fifth seal that is opened, we believe that this fifth seal really lasts for 10 years. Stay with me, I'm going to show you why we believe that. For 10 years from 303 A.D., to 313 A.D. 303 A.D. to 313 A.D. The Christians were always persecuted. But through and after Nero, right up to Diocletian, Galerius, Roman emperors like Diocletian, Galerius, Vespasian was away before that. There was a terrible persecution but coming up to things starting to ease for the Christian. Things starting to get a bit easier for a while, for a period of time. A little while, as it says in our reading, was when Constantine said he was a Christian. 
Do you know in history, I've read that this is known as the 10th persecution, meaning the 10th wave of the persecution. Listen to this. On the 23rd of February, 303 AD, what became known as the Terminalia was celebrated in Rome. The Terminalia. And it means the termination of all Christians was to be celebrated. The Terminalia celebrated in Rome. And all important scroll or books, everywhere that they could find them were to be burned. Galerius and Diocletian, both Caesars, had their buildings. All where the Christians would meet had their buildings pulled down or burned to the ground. There was an edict. An edict was given to do the same wherever the Christians were found to be gathered in the whole of the empire. And it was also declared that all Christians to be deemed as outlaws. We're not far off it today, sure we're not. You stay with me. They were to be deemed as outlaws. And this edict also occasioned an immediate martyrdom. Note this, Christian. The edict also occasioned an immediate martyrdom for a bold Christian who would tear it down. That is, the edict would have been nailed to different places of worship, tearing it down. These outlaws known as Christians are here. Inform the authorities. Let them know what these Christians are doing. Let them know what these Christians are getting up to. Sounded a wee bit like when we were in the last building, wasn't it? When we were down in the warehouse praising the Lord, there were certain people who were informing the authorities on us. A bold Christian if they tore that down that none could see it or would speak against it or even preach against it, there would be a certain death for them. And if it was lenient, hard labor in a prison. The injustice of what was happening was all over the Roman Empire. They were killed, imprisoned, tortured, crucified. They were put on racks and stretched until their joints pulled out, until their limbs were ripped off. They were beaten. They were starved. They were poisoned. They were cut with knives, stabbed with daggers. Their eyes were gouged out. They were drowned in the rivers and in the waters. They were suffocated slowly. They were shot through with arrows. They were ran through with swords. They were beheaded. They were maimed and their limbs were broken and rendered useless, unable to work. They were smashed so much. Their homes were raided 
and burned to the ground. Their worship was deemed illegal and Christ was a curse and a swear word and to mention his name in reverence was a cause worthy of imprisonment and even death. And still the church went on with Christ. Did you hear that church? CET, did you hear that? And still the church went on with Christ. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, please. In Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, we have John's letter to the seven churches which are in Asia. Seven churches which are in Asia. Now, I'm going to do this briefly and quickly so it will not take up too much time, but each church was a literal assembly of saints. They were a literal church. It started with Ephesus and finished with Laodicea. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. The seven churches all had a letter, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. They all were given a letter from Christ, the risen Lord, through John. In the second church, they also were seven church ages. So the first church was when Christ had been resurrected and poured out his spirit on the church right through to about coming to 100 AD. They were known as the Ephesus period of time. Then the second one was the Smyrna church. And they were from roughly about 100 AD as well going forward. Will you let your eye please run down chapter 2? Let your eye go to verse 8, please. Here is the letter to the Smyrna church. Unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know thy blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you may have tribulation 10 days. Note it, mark it, write it down, 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee the crown of life. Now hold on a minute, Jesus. Be thou faithful unto death. You're not going to rescue us. You're not going to rescue us from this Roman imprisonment? He says, no, I want you to be faithful unto death. Can I say something, brothers and sisters? These people were ready to die. They were secure in Christ. They were assured of their salvation. They were ready should Christ call them. They were ready... And Christ says, for 10 days, now that's 10 prophetic days, means 10 years. 10 years, the leave is from when? 303 AD, the 313 AD. So you see the scripture will interpret the scripture. Take note here, the, the church 
of Smyrna. Do you know what Smyrna means? Anointing oil. And this church is said to go from 100 AD to 313. In that time period, and the persecution was always there, but from 303, those 10 days or 10 years, it accelerated and then started to peter out because of Constantine claiming he was a Christian. Smyrna means anointing oil. Do you know how these Christians got through their trials? Through the anointing oil. Do you know how these Christians endured such terrible times? Through the anointing oil. Do you know how they faced death and went on into glory, knowing Christ? Through the anointing oil. What is the anointing oil? The Holy Ghost. The problem is with many, they don't realize who claim Christ, that the Holy Ghost is in them. It was the Holy Spirit who enabled them to face such terrible and wicked things. It says in verse 10, Fear none of those things which shall, thou shalt suffer. No one wants to suffer, do we? Be thou faithful, he says again, unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Brothers and sisters, we can dwell on that as much as we like, but here's the thing about it. This message we have called it, and we have entitled it this evening, The Souls Under the Altar and a Warning from History. Because it didn't stop at the pagan Roman Empire. There was a gap when they had a breathing space as a Christian. And Constantine claimed that he was saved. But here's what Constantine did. Constantine was a pagan who claimed to be saved. And because of the pagan Romans, and now he's a Christian, Rome starts to go into a bit of a frenzy. So Constantine takes the paganism from Babylon to Rome, the pagan Rome, And he brings it into the church. And there when he brings it in, he has mother and child worship. You know what that's from? It's from Babylon. In Babylon, there's a a Nimrod's wife is called Samaramus. And Samaramus has, Nimrod dies and she says, Nimrod is the sun now in the sky. Worship him. So we have sun worship, S-U-N worship. She claims to be the moon goddess. We have the crescent moon of Islam. But here, mother and child, she has a child, calls him Tammuz. And that's where passing through the fires, they light fires of coal. And they're passing through the fires is the idea of this is the worship of Tammuz. Here we have an ungodly demonic trinity. Mother and child, Worship, where does it come into? Comes into the church of Rome. Mary and Jesus, the child, that's where it comes from. You see the paintings with the the halos around the head. That's the sun god. That's Nimrod worship. This is where this comes from. Brothers and sisters, Christ said that this would happen in our reading. 
In Revelation 6, he tells them in verse 11, And white robes were given unto them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for yet for a little season. Do you know what he's telling us? All of those who were maimed and slaughtered and murdered under pagan Rome, God hasn't forgotten them. God remembers the blood of the innocent. And every vile act of abortion in our land, God hasn't forgotten them. God will not forget the blood of the innocent. Everyone that was slain in cold blood by a murderous terrorist, God has not forgotten them. Lord Jesus, we're told in Revelation 6 and 11, they should rest a little season until, notice, until their fellow servants, also their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Millions of martyrs were to be added to the number of the souls under the altar. Millions of martyrs. You see, the Lord Jesus tells John to tell the church at Smyrna in chapter Revelation 2 and verse 11, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. The second death. Would you say second death? Would you say it again and louder? That they won't be heard of the second death. What is the second death? Here in Revelation 20, still in the same book, Revelation 20, please, and then verse 14. We can't read through this scripture. This is the great white throne judgment of those who are not in the Lamb's book of life and the devil, the beast and the dragon are all cast into the lake of fire. Verse 14, it says, and those who stood before God were not written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Notice what 14 says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So, death and hell. Death is thanatos. Thanatos, it means when you've lost your loved one and they died, there will be no more death. All of that is cast away. And it gives the idea that it'll be cast into a fire like a fire consumes and burns and totally takes it up. But you'll lose no more loved ones. And hell is Hades. The place of the dead. The second death is mentioned four times in Revelation. Revelation 2 and 11. Revelation 20 and 6. Revelation 20 and 14. Revelation 21 and 8. All mention the second death. But here's what he says to those in Smyrna. He says that you will not be hurt of the second death. You won't even feel a hurt of it. 
It won't hurt you. Why will it not hurt you? Because you belong to me, Christ says. Because you're mine. Do you belong to Christ tonight? Are you saved? Are you trusting him? Because the second death is for those who are outside of Christ. The old saying is, some of us will be born twice and die once. Born of your parents and then born again of the Spirit in Christ. And if Christ tarry, we'll die once. And there'll be those who will be born once and die twice. Born of your parents and die in the flesh and then into the lake of fire, the second death. Are you Christ tonight? Do you know you're his? Are you sure you're his? Are you secure you're his? Time is flying on. Let me move on. In Matthew 10 and verse 28, listen to what the Lord says. Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The word hell there is not Hades, but Gehenna. Gehenna was a rubbish dump outside the walls of Jerusalem with continual burning. All the offal and all of the things that weren't burnt of the sacrifices and the rubbish of the city was put outside there and was burned. There was maggots and worms in it. Where the worm dieth not, Christ says. Speaking of hell, he takes this picture of Gehenna where the flame was continually burning. The fire will not be quenched where the worm dieth not. Jesus says to them, to you, to I, to all Christians, fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him. Fear who? Fear God. Fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Gehenna fire. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said these words, there is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. There is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. Look, here's the thing. See when the world's against you. See when others are saying things and they're, they're offensive to you. See whenever we're starting to fear man, you know what to do? Get into the secret place and realize who your father in heaven is and have a reverential fear of him and it'll take away the fear of every man you face. You'll fear no one else. And so, the second death is more severe for it is eternal. Revelation 6 and 9. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. 
Oh, see you Smyrna Christians. You Smyrna Christians, you must be really out of favor with God because look at all you're going through and look at what they're doing to you. Sure, God would release you and you'd waft the heaven in the handbasket, wouldn't you? And life's rosy. It's like the white picket fence and we'll ring the little bell on a Sunday and everybody come with their little Bible under their arm and sit down and life is just completely good. That's what people think. This is a war. It's a battle every day to crucify the old man. It's a fight. It's a challenge. It's a trial. It's a war. Here. It says they were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. The newspapers and the social media and the mainstream media will be on to you because you take such a stand and you preach so, so clear the gospel. You're afraid of no man when you preach or no woman when you preach. You don't care what they think because you're trying to reach them. We understand that, but Ken, you're just too hard. You're just too straight, you know, and you're, you're not really very Christian, are you? Would Jesus do that? Would he not? You know what he said to the Pharisees? You're off your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He says, you're a brood of vipers. He preached hellfire. We've read his words. They were maimed and murdered for the testimony which they held. Can I ask you, how's your testimony, brother? Sister, people know you're saved. People know you're Christ's. When people speak to you, do you speak Christ to them? Have you got the joy of the Lord in your heart? Is, you know, there's some Christians that are, their face is as long as a horse. Not the truth. All the time. Their spirit's negative and aggressive, and I wonder, where's Christ? I'm going to tell you something else, although it's not up to me to judge the Christian here, but I'll tell you what I personally think. I believe there's people come to this church and you're not saved, but you profess Christ. But they're not saved. I'm concerned about certain people. I'm concerned of where they are with Christ. I'm not going to tell you who they are. But as their shepherd, I'm concerned. Show nothing of Christ in their life. Nothing of grit and determination with the Spirit driving them on. They show nothing of the love of God. There's no faithfulness to them. There's nothing in them. Nothing. Oh, to wake the dead. Oh, to wake the dead. Their testimony, you know the word testimony? It's the word martyria. It's where we get our word martyr from. Everyone thinks a, a martyr has to die to be a martyr. No. 
A martyr is someone who dies to self-deliver every day for Christ, to witness for him. We have to race here. John says that he himself in Revelation 1 and 9 was in the island that's called Patmos for the testimony of Christ. So because things don't go right in your life doesn't mean God's fell out with you. Especially when you're living before God. People will say, but you live for God. Why is this happening to you? You're good. Listen, there's nothing good. There's only one that ever walked the earth that was good. The Lord Jesus Christ and they crucified him. They killed him. How long they cry, the souls under the altar. How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge, avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? It's like when the Lord says to Cain after he killed Abel in Genesis 4 and 10, what has I done? The voice of thy brother's blood craft unto me from the ground. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 32 and 43. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. How long, Lord? What if the Lord asked us a few how longs? Exodus 16 and 28, he says, How long refuse you to keep my commandments and my laws? How long are you going to stop doing that? How long is it going to be before you pick it up and do that? Here's another one, Numbers 14 and 27. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation, the Lord says, speaking of Israel, in the wilderness? Congregation, this is the congregation today, the called out. Here's another one, Psalm 4 and 2. How long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity? This is the Lord asking you and I. Proverbs 9 and 6. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? In other words, when are you going to waken up? Speaking to me. Elijah says in 1 Kings 18, 21, how long halt ye between two opinions? If God, if the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. So I have a couple of thoughts here and I'm closing. Revelation 6 and verse 11, we have the martyrs under the altar asking, how long till they, their blood is avenged? They are given white robes, which is the righteousness of Christ, justified in the sight of God. But under this altar, remember, this is all Israelitish symbols. Leviticus 4 and 7 tells us of this altar. And the priest shall put on some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of, of it, sweet incense. Now, note that. There's one altar. Before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering. That's a second altar, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And what he's saying is one is on the horns of the altar of sweet offering. You put it on the horns of it. But you go to the next altar of burnt offering and you put the blood at the bottom of it. Pour it out all over it. 
see, the altar of incense represents the offering of the soul. And the horns were where they tied an animal to. This is not for salvation. This is because you are saved. We will serve you, Lord. We are dead to self. And the second altar of burnt offering, it gives the idea of entering into a covenant relationship with God. Since I am yours, Lord, I will serve you, pour myself out. Remember, Jesus said, to take up your cross, not his cross where you were saved. Take up your cross and follow him. All of these pointed to the cross of Christ, but now as we're saved, we're blood-washed believers, we come and we give ourselves unto death. The difference between Christ's cross dying for us and our cross carrying it ourselves is this. One is for salvation, the cross of Christ. The other is for sanctification, following Christ. These souls under the altar are Christ's. So he said, the rest a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were and should be fulfilled. And we looked at that high. It went from Constantine and picked up through Rome. So here's what I've written just to give you a warning from history. A warning for the church today from history. First of all, you find finger pointing by the ruling authorities placing blame on one particular group for the nation's troubles. See those Christians, it's their fault. See those Christians in, it's their fault. You get it everywhere. See them Christians. See those Christians. That's the first step towards totalitarianism. Secondly, marginalizing the politically incorrect portion of the church is looked upon as not to be part of mainstream society. So if you have a politically correct church, you'll get away with it. But if you come to CET, you won't. And the politically correct church, they marginalize the, 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 the church that is not politically correct. They take that portion, they look upon us and say, you're not part of the mainstream. Ah. They must be conspiracy theorists. They're not part of the mainstream. They're not doing what they're told and they're not going where we have said to go and they're not wearing what we tell them to wear and they're not opening and closing when we tell them to open and close and we can go through it all and they take that and they look at that. This church, I think there'll be trouble. This portion of Christianity, well, you know, I think they're right wing. Thirdly, vilifying 
The persecutors employ such methods as slanderous and abusive statements to target and cheapen their worth and significance. So next thing, they start to slander the church. They start to slander the, the believer. They start to slander and say this about them and that about them and the other thing that people will be afraid to come near and all of a sudden you're set out on an island on your own and then they can attack you. This is what they did. I've read it to you. This is what they did in in Revelation 6. This is a warning from history. Fourthly, they criminalize them. This gives the state a so-called legal justification to arrest the accused. Ah, see that church, I think we now have cause to arrest them. You you might be saying, I don't think I'll come back again. But Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, the anointing oil church, you be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. You stand faithful and I'll give you a crown of life. I believe the crown of life is the, is the place and part in the kingdom where we are changed to be like him and we have position in the kingdom. Be faithful unto death, he says. And lastly, they terrorize. They terrorize by blatant and outrageous acts against that said assembly or church or Christian. So they start to terrorize. Happened in history in pagan, in papal Rome then after it. Happened from the Jews before that. I'm telling you again, brothers and sisters, in this day and age in which we live, we can see that happening in our nation, isn't it? You can see all these things happening and at a tremendous speed. At a tremendous speed. But I can tell you, according to this word, according to this word, Andre prayed it tonight. Thank you, Jesus, we're on the victory side. We're in the winning team. Christ will return. The Bible says it. Christ will return. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to rehearse what I said this morning. We're not in fear. We walk in faith. We're not afraid. We stand in Christ alone. So, the souls under the altar are a warning for us. One day we will see those who were martyred John Wycliffe, John Huss. I told you, Huss means goose. And when they were burning them at the stake, they said, your goose has been cooked. That's where that saying comes from. Your goose has been cooked. We'll see him not burned, not marred. See him in his glorified state when Christ comes. And I hope to see you. I hope to see you there too. God bless us tonight.